Let me ask you guys this question. It's a, it's a great question. If you had the opportunity to be on national television and every single American was watching and you had a chance to address our nation, what would you say? What, what would be on your heart today? I mean, like, there you are. Here's the microphone. You come up. And the cameras are on you, all the mainstream media is there, and you have five minutes, two minutes, one minute to say something to Americans. What, what would you say? It's a great question, isn't it? I want you to go to a passage of Scripture this morning, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, because I think it's one of those moments back in Bible times when God did just that through his prophet Elijah. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. It's, it's one of my favorites, and I really believe it's more than just a great passage of Scripture. I believe it is a passage that is prophetic for our time. I believe we're living in an Elijah moment as the church of Jesus Christ, an Elijah Mount Carmel confrontational moment. And, um, and I want to spend some time in this series uh, really speaking to the church today uh, and for the next three weeks, the body of Christ, those, those of us here at Living Stones, um, about getting our act together and making sure we're moving in integrity during this season. Because how many of you know it's hard for the Lord to do what He wants to do? He's looking for agreement, and the agreement that He gets is through the church. And so if the church isn't living in integrity, if we're full of compromise, then it's going to be very hard for God to accomplish what He wants to accomplish because He works through His people. Amen? Does that make sense? So this message, first of all, is for us, and I want us just to personalize that. And it's for me, all right? I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching the Word of the Lord for us, all right? So I'm in this message this morning just like you are. But I want you to go, this, we, could, we could cover a lot of ground here, but for the sake of time, I want you just to go to um, verse 16. It says, so Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. And when Ahab, this wicked and passive king, uh, saw Elijah, this is what he said. So... It is, or is it rather, really you, you troublemaker of Israel. Now that word troublemaker, in the Amplified Version, it says, Oh, you, the one who brings disaster. Uh, in another translation, it says, Oh, you, the one who's ruining Israel, the ruining our nation. And I want you to look at what Elijah's response was in verse 18. I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord, and you have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now, can we just paraphrase this for our time today? Can you imagine the world coming to the church and saying, Oh, all you Christians, you're the troublemakers. You're the one causing all the problems in America. And what I want you to hear is the response of a prophet, a man of God who didn't, wasn't concerned about pleasing anybody but an audience of one. And this is what the prophet of the Most High God said to the ruler, the governmental ruler of, of Israel at that time. He said, no, you and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord, and you have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now look at what verse 19 says. Elijah says, summon all of Israel, get the whole nation together, and join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab 
summoned all the people of Israel and all the prophets of Mount Carmel. And then Elijah stood in front of them and he said this, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? That word hobbling is translated various ways. It means limping, wavering, jumping back and forth, trying to have it both ways, sitting on the fence, paralyzed by indecision. How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. And look at the response from the people. The people were completely silent. How many of you know that was one of those prophetic uh, gut check moments in the history of the church? When the man of God speaking on behalf of the Lord himself challenged everybody to look inside and to figure out who they were. In fact, it was a little bit of an insulting sermon, was it not? Because he says you're limping around trying to, to live on both sides of the fence, and because of your indecision, you're wavering. And he basically said, he called them out. He said, if you're going to live for God, then live for God. And if you're going to live for the spirit of this world, then why don't you jump all in? I mean, I like how Pastor Dick says it, you know, jump in with all four feet. You know, in other words, let's go for it. If we're going to live for the world, then let's live for the world. But if we're going to live for God, then let's live for God. And I want you to see what happened because he was waiting for a response from the people. But the people at that moment had no response. They were completely silent. I mean, you know, that's kind of an awkward moment. Uh, The silence was screaming. The silence was deafening. And I believe we're at a place in America today where the, Lord, where the word of the Lord to at least God's people is this. Hey, if I'm your God, then let's, let's live for me with all of your heart. If you want to play like the world, then go out and live like the world and see how that treats you. You know, the, the, the good life. If that's not what you think is the good life, then go for it. But this is a time where there's no room for fence sitting in the body of Christ. It's a time where we've got to make up our minds. We've got to quit hobbling around. The church was never meant to hobble. The church was never meant to be crippled. The church was meant to move with power and to move with authority. So here's the situation. We we really have two competing worldviews colliding at this very moment. We've got the prophets of Baal. Well, who was Baal? Baal was the Canaanite fertility god. His boast was that he was Lord of the earth. I mean, you know, there's somebody else who actually claims that title, so we got a problem. He was Lord of the pantheon of all the Canaanite gods. And of course, you know that the worship of Baal in the Bible uh, was synonymous with sexual perversion and temple prostitution, and it often included the offering of one's own offspring as a sacrifice. And so the battle lines are drawn. There's competing gods uh, claiming authority, claiming preeminence. Uh, I want you to notice as well, because I think it speaks to our time in which we're living today, that the spirit, the stronghold behind these false claims was a spirit of sexual perversion. Sexual perversion was mixed actually with the worship of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? A a, a wicked demonic syncretism that was taking place. And so now we're pursuing the blessing of a fertility God uh, on the prosperity of our land. And so isn't it interesting? How many of you know God knows how to deal with our idols? So in a culture, that an economy that was driven by agriculture, what does God do to get their attention? He cuts the water off. How many of you know when you cut the water off and your, and your economy is driven by agriculture, you got problems because everything needs water. Plants need water. Cattle need water. Livestock need water. We need water. 
No water for three and a half years. We have a very clear battle line drawn. We have a shaking in the nation, an economic shaking, first of all. And I just want to say this, uh, that many times I believe that what we're seeing as far as the calamity and the, the distress in our nation is because, number one, we've turned from God, just like uh, the prophet Elijah said, you started obeying or disobeying the clear commands of the Lord. But secondly, it's because you're worshiping fake gods. And then you bring them into the church, and then you try to ask me to bless them. God's not blessing those things. And so there's a huge confrontation here. It is a massive collision that's taking place. And here's what's at stake. Whose God is greater? Who's the real troublemakers? You know, it's time for the church to start pointing out the real troublemakers. We get accused of being troublemakers. We're not the troublemakers. The troublemakers are people that have willingly disobeyed the clear instruction of the Lord on how we're to live our lives. That's what's causing trouble. Uh, It's time for us to begin saying, hey, this is the situation in America. There are real troublemakers, and they're not the body of Christ, and they're not people that love the Lord and who love worship. In fact, I'll just say this. Our church right now, and we're we're under the radar, but if we were in a, a more liberal state, guess what we would be? Troublemakers. We would be in the newspaper right now. We would be getting fined every day if we were in California. I'm just telling you so you know. That's that's who you would be. You would be a troublemaker. But we're not the troublemakers. We're the ones that bring blessing to the earth. We're the one that brings blessing to a nation. When we follow the law of God and the commandment of God and we obey Him above all things. So here's the real question too. Who are you going to give your full allegiance to? And here's the sad thing. There's silence in the Bible on behalf of God's people. What a powerful picture, I believe, of the battle that's taking place in America today. You've heard a lot of people describe America not as the United States of America, but the divided states of America. We've never been more polarized than we are now. There's never been a greater cultural divide than we have right now. And let me just tell you this. The issue, uh, if you're looking at the divide through a racial lens, you're not going deep enough. If you're looking at the divide through a political lens, you're not going deep enough. Because the issue isn't fundamentally about the color of one's skin, although that's, what's, that, that's how it's being played out today. And the issue, even though we have an election coming up, isn't fundamentally about political parties because both of them need reformation, some more than others. We'll get into that later. But the point is this. We have an, a collision of diametrically opposed worldviews that are running into each other. Now, when I uh, had the chance to speak to our former governor on these issues regarding uh, LGBT issues and religious liberty, we tried to nicely point out that there is no political middle ground on these issues because when you start from two different perspectives, two different sets of worldview assumptions that are diametrically opposite, there is no coming together. Can I just say this? Where is the compromise on abortion? There is no compromise on abortion. Where is the compromise on marriage when God has clearly spoken? There is no compromise on marriage. There are many things in life when God speaks, there is no political compromise. There is a matter of we obey God or we don't obey God. We draw the line somewhere and we have to stand on the side of truth or we're not aligning ourselves with the kingdom. At that point, we're guilty of compromise. 
And so we're finding today, if you notice that, that, that the folks that hate Christianity in America and hate the influence of the gospel, they keep trumpeting the fact that Christianity is shrinking in America. But can I just tell you something? True Christianity is not shrinking in America. True Christianity is thriving in America. What we're seeing is what they call the religious nuns, not N-U-N-S, not Catholic nuns, but N-O-N-E-S, nuns. You've probably heard about these folks. They claim no religious affiliation at all. They are people that once were Christians and who now consider themselves nuns. When they fill out something that that asks them for their religious affiliation, they check off none. That group is growing in a huge way in America. Can I just make a declaration to you? Great! I'm glad that group is growing because that represents cultural Christianity It represents people who, they claim to be Christians because they're not Buddhist or Hindus or some other faith. They they are cultural Christians. They're this deep. It's a veneer on the outside. They're hoping to go see the big guys someday, and when they die, hey, I hope it all turns out. That's not the kind of, that is not the gospel. That, That is not a true representation of followers of Jesus Christ. Those people are falling off. We're seeing worship leaders turning their their back on God. Christian pastors turning their back on God, renouncing the faith. Can I just tell you, you never had a genuine faith to begin with if you throw your faith away. And we're seeing all kinds of people that are now too sophisticated to bow their knee to Jesus Christ. But here's what's happening. These are the fence sitters. These are the cultural Christians. You know, here's the deal. You're either a Christian or you're not. Because the Bible says to be a Christian means you've come from death and you're now alive. There's no like, I'm halfway alive, or I'm partly a Christian, or I believe some of what the Bible teaches, but not all of what the Bible teaches. Are you kidding me? You're either dead or you're alive. You're either a lover of Jesus or you're not. And you know, sometimes you just got to call it out and figure out where is everybody? You got to take a divine uh, status test to see where we are, and you got to do an integrity check. So I'm glad the nuns are increasing because what it's saying is now you're showing your true colors. Now, the nuns, not to throw them out and not have any compassion on them, we're believing that they're all coming into the kingdom in a genuine way, not a religious way. The problem is many people in the church in America have been inoculated to the true gospel. I mean, you know, when you get inoculated, everybody talks about the vaccine. The vaccine is going to save us, right? Uh, What's the vaccine? They inject you with a little bit of the sickness, so you build up an immunity. Well, guess what? We give people just enough Jesus in the church that we inoculate them against, we think, hell, but we also inoculate them against a genuine encounter with Jesus. And so we got a lot of these fence-sitting folks that just got knocked off the fence, What's really happening here is it's a struggle for the heart and soul of our nation. And have you noticed that there's so many attacks right now at our universities and other places on Western civilization? Western civilization. Can can I just peel the veneer off? You know what Western civilization is? It's the Judeo-Christian worldview made public. The attack is not on Western civilization. The attack is against Jesus Christ and against the Word of God and against the founding faith and ideals and principles and ethics that came out of the Scriptures. That's the attack right now in America. We hide it under some of these code words, but don't... Have you figured out that from the very beginning at the fall, there has been a battle for the souls of people? It is a spiritual battle. 
Don't get lost in all the labels of contemporary modern life. We're having an identity crisis right now. Who are we as a nation? How did we get here? I heard one author saying this, and this is a strong statement. We are living in the twilight of 500 years of Western dominance. The twilight. He's saying we're on the verge of a revolution of sorts. We're, we're losing 500 years of Christian worldview superiority in our culture. And what is on the other side of that? I'll tell you what's on the other side of that. Barbarism, paganism, violence, perversion. I mean, we're not getting more progressive. We're looking to go back. We're looking to sell our birthright and go back to what we've been delivered from. I mean, all this stuff, you read the Bible, all the sexual perversion that's being pushed today as progressive, it's old school. It goes all the way back to the old covenant when God said, don't do these things. There's nothing new under the sun. So we don't want to go backwards. We need to go forwards. But here's the problem. We have been witnessing, and say amen if you've, if you've seen this, a gradual unrelenting rejection of the Judeo-Christian worldview. It's, it is unrelenting. And I've had people make fun of me, you know, say, oh, you're you whining about being persecuted. You're losing your religious liberty. Listen to me. I, I'm not trying to pretend that America is still way better than everywhere else in the world. We are. Uh, we're not like Iran and Iraq. Praise the Lord. We're not like communist China. Hallelujah. And I don't want to be like them either. But we have all witnessed a growing hostility to the public expression of our faith. I mean, you know, the cancel culture is all around us. Uh, if you disagree, you're canceled. You're fired. You lose your job. You're attacked just for simply having an opinion and believing the wrong thing. Or how about this, being on the wrong side of history? We have seen a progressive and aggressive secularism that's taken root in our universities. In fact, I'll say this, much of the poison that's coming out right now and the violence in our culture and the hatred for America comes from our public universities it's your, it's your tax dollars that are going to fund all of this garbage. Imagine spending your hard-earned money to undermine the very ideals that have led to us being the greatest nation in the history of nations and the most prosperous nation in the history of the world. It's insanity. But our universities, our government, our judicial system, our public education system, the mainstream media, Hollywood, and this is stunning as well. It, most recently, it's corporate America that's assaulting our values. Corporate America used to be on our side, but now corporate America is using the strength of their financial power uh, to also silence the church and silence believers and stifle our faith and the expression of our faith. You know, there are secularists in our culture, people who hate God and want nothing to do with God and, and, and speak out against God. But how many of you know secularists are different than those who are secularized? You can be in the church and not hate God and yet become secular. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, the secular person simply acts as if there is no need for God. Think with me for a minute how we do church these days. If I hear another megachurch pastor talk about taking a survey, does anybody see in the Bible where anybody took a survey before they made a decision? Uh, whatever happened to fasting and prayer? Whatever happened to thus saith the Lord? You know, the scary thing is we actually run our churches as if we don't need God's help. 
And I just want to tell you, I shared with you before, when a spirit of independence, because of the blessing of God, grips your heart, and you actually act like you can do this apart from God, apart from His presence, apart from His Word, listen, apart from holy desperation, we've become secularized. And the church has become secularized. Can you just publicly declare with me this morning, we better do church like God exists and like we need him more than the breath we have in our lungs, or we're just a religious institution uh, where God's presence is no longer there. I shared with you before about this phrase. It's a powerful phrase. It's called the cut flower civilization. I want to do something for the next four weeks because I want you to watch it. I, I felt like this is a prophetic scene that God wants to put before us. Honey, if you could grab those flowers for me. I might have to take a rest after I carry this because to catch my breath. Well, yeah, this is perfect. This is perfect. This represents our nation right now. It's beautiful, isn't it? Well, no, it actually once had a lot of beauty, but it's starting to show some signs of wear and tear. Am I speaking to, you, to the right crowd? Wear and tear. Well, why is there wear and tear? I'll tell you why there's wear and tear. Because as soon as these flowers get cut off from their source, it doesn't matter how pretty they look. It doesn't matter how much water you put in there. It doesn't matter. Let me see if I can even get them back in. All right, there we go. It's only a matter of time. As soon as they're cut from their source, they start to die. Can I just tell you something? The prosperity that we have now looks like that and it's getting worse the state of our families the state of our children the state of our country the violence do you know that in times past if a woman was raped in a community it caused such a a a sense of revulsion and a stir and a shocking what is going on that the whole community stopped and began to pray and seek the lord and cry out to god for mercy because listen to me it was not even thought of now it's everywhere the violence that we're seeing everywhere just senseless violence everywhere What's going on? When you cut the roots, you can only pretend that the beauty is going to last, but it's not going to last. It's going to get uglier and uglier and uglier. For the next four weeks, I'm going to leave these flowers right here, and I want you to look at what's taking place in the flowers, because what happens is when you reject God, and you reject his word, and you turn your back on him, you cut the flower off, and then you thank God for all, you don't thank God, you enjoy the blessings of the fruit of the Christian worldview. Isn't it amazing today? We have the freedom to attack the freedoms that led to the freedom to attack the freedom, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it's nuts what's going on in our country today. We're bite, literally biting the hand that has fed us. That's why I wish I could put every single American on an airplane and get you out of America. I don't care where we send you. Send you somewhere to where you realize you are living not in an oppressive nation, but in the greatest, most free nation that the world has ever experienced. And there's a reason for those freedoms. His name is Jesus. It's the Word of God. It's people who've honored Him and made sacrifices. And yes, we have not been a perfect nation. Those nations don't exist. 
but we have been a nation in pursuit of truth and righteousness and equality and justice. All those words are meaningless apart from the Christian worldview. Absolutely meaningless. We're enjoying the beauty of the flowers while we sever them from the roots that are responsible for their life and for their flourishing. Christopher Dawson said this, We are only just beginning to understand how intimately and profoundly the vitality of a society is bound up with its religion. It is the religious impulse which supplies the cohesive force which unifies society and culture. A society which has lost its religion becomes sooner or later a society which has lost its culture. Why are we blown apart right now in disunity? I'll tell you why. Because we are no longer one nation under God. Have you noticed some of the political advertising that's going out? We are one nation. I'm waiting for the rest. They don't leave the rest. They don't add the rest. They've taken that out. We are not one nation apart from God. There has to be a unifying force and factor that pulls everybody together, the e pluribus unum, all right, out of many one. That what makes us one is our worldview. When you don't share a worldview, you're not one. You're a bunch of competing factions striving for power, and that's exactly what we see in America today. But that's the world. That's our nation. I want to look specifically this morning in the time that we have left. I want to look at the church of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's shift our focus to the church. How many of you know the church of Jesus has always been called to go against the current? Because when you're in the world, the Bible says be in the world, but don't be of the world. Amen? Now, some people have perverted that, and they interpret that to mean go hide in the closet and wait till Jesus comes. That's not what that means. How many of you know we should be trumpeting the truth and the vitality and, listen to me, the superiority of our Christian worldview everywhere we go? The argument is always this whether it's for marriage or whether it's for sexual purity or whether it's for restraint or morality or whatever. The argument is, look at what God is doing in our midst. Why don't you come join us? In other words, become part of a superior people with superior values, with superior blessing because God is in our midst. We're called to make the world jealous, not to hide. We're called to make the world jealous of who God has made us to be. How many know we're called to be not conformed, but transformed by the renewing of our minds? The world is this spirit that's alienated from God and it's direct opposition to God. So God calls us to stand for righteousness when there's darkness all around us. He calls us to be faithful to Christ when we're surrounded by false gods and false mistresses that are all around us. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. But here's the rub for God's people. And this is why this series is on modern life. Because here's the rub. When we speak of modern life, we're speaking of things that are contemporary, up-to-date, the latest and the greatest. How many of you know there's nothing the matter with the latest and the greatest? I'm grateful that we have air conditioning when it's 90-some degrees out. How about you? I'm grateful that I was even able to drive to work, although I could have walked. I only live 100 yards from here, but I had the choice. I got in a car and I drove down here. I'm grateful for cars. How many of you are grateful for facilities? We could be meeting under a tree, but we have a great facility, do we not? Aren't you glad that many of you, you just threw your, your dirty dishes in the dishwasher, hit the button, and then you came to church, and when you get home, your dishes are clean. Isn't that amazing? 
What I'm not saying is, let's go back to the good old days. I mean, I'm even old enough to remember going down in our basement in Hessville and seeing the old dishwasher where you had to put the thing through and crank it, and it went through the two uh, ringers, remember that, to dry it out? Remember those, those things? I was even born, all right, this is going to really dare. I wore the old cloth diapers. Hey, that was when motherhood was serious, all right? That's when you had to scrape all that stuff out of there, and you had to wash those diapers. And, and how about when your mom's putting the pins on you, and she missed? Ah, you know. I mean, talk about child abuse back in the day. Can you all hear me? This is why modernism is seductive, because nobody's advocating going backwards. But can I just tell you something? This is why modernism is so seducing. Because when we talk about modern life, we talk about things like comfort. Anybody grateful for comfort? Is comfort of the devil? No. But can comfort neutralize your passion for God? Absolutely. Can comfort make you passive, complacent? Absolutely. Don't want to get out of bed on Sunday to come worship because it's so comfortable in this bed. We got the mattress covers. We got the fluffy pillows, the, the Mr. My Pillow guy, all right, on TV most comfortable pillow around. Nobody wants you sleeping on a rock, but when you love your pillow more than you love Jesus, you got a problem. All right, we can repent for pillow love later, all right? How many are grateful we have amazing health care? And we should celebrate that. But you know what? We should never put it before the Lord or go to health care before we go to Jesus. Then it becomes an idol. I mean, you know, we have the benefit of great speed. What a great time. We, we can be on the other side of the world in a matter of hours. We can talk to people on the other side of the world, face-to-face, for free, on our phones. I mean, you know, this is modern life. Isn't that amazing? Speed. How about power? Man, aren't you glad you don't have Tommy? Aren't you glad you're not cutting trees down with a butter knife? I just cut a couple trees down. Thank God for a chainsaw. And then we had to move some of the big pieces. Thank God for tractors. Power. Can you imagine living without any of the conveniences of modern life that we have right now? But here's, here's the challenge. When we have all the conveniences of modern life, it's so easy to act like we don't really need the Lord. We don't really need God. We start living, instead of living top down with being God being the center, we start living man-centered lives, uh, living bottom up. We actually believe that man can live by bread alone, even though Jesus has already told us you cannot live by bread alone. There's more to life than the conveniences of life and the material things of life. And here's, here's the, the problem. When we begin to live and get influenced by the seductive modern life here in America, all the blessings. When we enjoy the blessings more than we enjoy the blesser, what happens to your faith is it gets hollowed out. The word in the Bible for hollowed out is weightlessness. You know, when, when the storms come, what do you do to light things? You either take them in the garage if they're outside on your patio or you put some stones on them. You, you try to anchor them down. When the Lord is no longer the blazing center of our lives and there's not a sense of genuine dependence upon God, guess what happens to your Christianity? It becomes hollowed out. That's why we had to take one of the trees down in my backyard because guess what? The ants started eating the inside, the carpenter ants. And when the storms would come, we'd start losing branches. And we realized the reason those branches were coming off was because something had eaten the inside out. 
How many of you know you can come to church, look good, you can wear the Livingstones t-shirt, you can be baptized, you can become a member, and you can be hollow. You can even use all the language. You can say, praise God, I'm blessed. You can do all that stuff. But how many of you know, at the end of the day, it's between you and the Lord, and you've got to ask yourself this question, is my faith, has it been eaten? Has it been eaten by the bugs of modernity, modern life? Have I been seduced into thinking that, you know, yeah, I know God's out there, but you live in such a way that you don't need him, you don't pursue him, you don't seek him. That's the challenge of this weightlessness. And here's the antidote to weightlessness, and I love this. The word glory, glory, God's glory. That word in the Hebrew means weighty. How many of you know what America needs right now? Because we're, we're getting shallow, are we not? We just had a presidential candidate basically it, being interviewed uh, by a pop porn singer because her music is pornographic. Who would have thought it was presidential to interview a pop porn artist, basically, and talk about anything, uh, anything? Uh, but that's how, listen, it's how shallow we are. It's how hollow we are. We don't have any substance any longer. And you know what? I'm afraid, again, I'm speaking to the church. What do we have to offer the world if our vitality, if the integrity of our hearts, if our passion is not for the glory of God above all things. Can I, can I tell you why we're open right now? We have a passion for the glory of God. Period. So that means anybody else's opinion, I don't really care about. We listen, but at the end of the day, nobody else's opinion matters. What matters is we want to be the people God's called us to be, and we want to live in such a way that God's called us to live, and we want God to be glorified in the midst of a pandemic, and we don't want you all to be hiding at your house. It's very unfitting for people of God to be hiding at your house unless physically you need to hide at your house. What I'm trying to tell you is the glory of God is at stake. And in, listen to me, in liberal states... I believe it's an intentional shutting down of the church because anybody that's a thinker realizes that the church always stands against tyranny, period. The church is the last hope against tyranny. If you shut the church down, you control the people. If you don't shut the church down, you cannot control the people because our voices have been like Elijah saying, hey, I call everybody into attention, thus saith the Lord. That's the authority of you and I in the church. Thus saith the Lord. And God's just looking for agreement. But we're coming into an Elijah moment when I believe God's looking for voices that will say, hey, let's quit talking about our opinion. What does God have to say about this? Here's the reality. When we live for the glory of God, our lives have a sense of weightiness to them. Your life matters. Your life is not hollow. Your life is not empty. You matter. Your life has significance. Anybody want to live a significant life? Then latch yourself to the heavy, heavy one, all right? You know, back in the 60s, it was like, whoa, dude, that's heavy. Remember all those kinds of things? Whoa, heavy. Let me tell you the, who's the heavy. God Almighty, the ground of reality. There's nobody more heavy, weighty, substantial than God himself. And the farther we move away from God, the less weight our lives have. And we become hollow and we become weightless. You remember the story in 1 Samuel when the children of Israel were going out into battle, but how many of you know they weren't living the life? And you know what they did? They brought the lucky charm. Anybody remember what the lucky charm is? The ark. The ark. 
And this is what they said, let's go get it. I mean, you know, whenever God and his presence becomes an it, you've lost, you're, you're living a shell of your faith. Let's go get it. When the ark becomes a good luck charm, well, guess what? God says, I ain't playing good luck charm. You can bring out that box, but I'm nowhere to be found because it's not the box. It's the glory that dwells over the box. Okay, This is a box. Where you're at this morning, it's a box. If the presence of Jesus doesn't show up, we got a box. And if we think that the blessing of God comes upon a people who have it, Whatever it is, our faith, our Bible, our promises, it, 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 that God's just a slot machine, and we just quote the verse over and over again, and God has to do it. Are you kidding me? God is not an it. What they should have been saying is, God is your presence with us. God, are we pleasing you? God, are we honoring you? God is your glory foremost. God, look at what the enemy's trying to do against your covenant people. But no, we just want to go find it. And you remember the story. You got a, you, listen, you got a wicked, lazy priest named Eli, and his sons were more worthless than he was. I, I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I do not want to be a wicked, lazy priest. I want to carry weight on my life. How about you? We're all part of the priesthood of believers, are we not? I want there to be something heavy about me because when I speak or when I move or when I love or when, I, when we as a church move, the, the weight of our impact is felt in the earth, not we're some irrelevant country club that nobody cares about. My biggest challenge to pastors has been when you simply roll over and die and you don't open your church and you don't minister to your people, the message you're sending to the world is what we do is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Who cares? That is the wrong message to send about God. We should be saying the worship of the Lord is essential to the health of our nation. That's our message. The love of God. Crying out to the Lord. It should be a time of corporate seeking of God, pursuit of God. Not let's just stay home so we don't hurt anybody. How pathetic. They had religion without substance. They had a form without power. They had ritual but they didn't have presence. And I just want to say this too. We're dealing with growth problems. Praise the Lord. We're touching people. We're having to add more services. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing. But at some point, if all that happens at the cost of God's presence, we're just doing religious stuff. So, if our concern is going to be, oh my gosh, we got to hurry up and get out of here because the parking lot's getting messy. I just hope, I'm just saying this to you, I hope you would rather be at a church that has a messy parking lot but has God's presence or at a church where you have to be patient to get into the building because there's so many people hungry for God and we haven't been able to build fast enough to catch up with him. But I'll tell you what, I don't ever want to compromise 
the genuine, authentic passion for the Lord and hunger for his presence and desire to follow him and serve him and obey him no matter what goes on out there, no matter what the media says about us, no matter what your neighbor says about us, but that we would have one passion in mind and that's Jesus and Jesus only. That's what the church is supposed to be burdened with. One other passage I want to share with you, and I might be causing a parking lot problem right now, but here we go. (laughs) Daniel chapter 5, King Belshazzar. This wicked king watched what God did to his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Thank you, thank you. You all know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he got too big for his britches. He ended up acting like an animal, eating grass out in the field. Y'all know what happened when all of a sudden he came to his senses by the grace of God. He said, God is the one true God, not me. I'm just a little step above a cow eating grass in the field. He was humble. The next king comes along. You know what this king has the audacity to do? To go in and to get the articles that they stole from Israel after Israel turned their back on God. The temple articles, the gold, the silver things, the goblets that were dedicated to the worship of the Lord. This king goes in, takes all those things that are holy. That's what it means to be holy, to be consecrated for God's purposes. Takes the holy vessels, throws a a, a party, a lewd party, and in the midst of the partying, God shows up. Well, not all of them, just his hand. And he begins writing, remember that? He begins writing on the wall. The Bible says the king's knees were whacking together. His face turned pale. And this is what God said. And may this never be spoken over any of our lives. You are weighed in the balance and found weightless or wanting. How many of you know there's a day coming God's going to take our lives and put them in the balance? And the last thing you want to hear declared over your life is, you know what? You're hollow, weightless. You wasted the calling and the purpose I had for your life, and your life was inconsequential, non-impactful, and meaningless. You, O king, should have had more sense to recognize the power of God, but you didn't. And so, you know what? The kingdom that I gave to you, I'm ripping out of your hands even now. Can I just tell you, we are the hope for America. We're the only weighty thing in our culture. It's the church. Our nation's getting hollowed out. And the solution is the body of Christ. The solution is not to be a nothing like idols are. Idols are nothings, but to be a something. And that something is to be the people of God. So here's where we're going to go the next few weeks, because here's the challenge before us. Can we remain faith-filled and fearless and fruitful in the midst of growing cultural chaos and confusion and compromise? Can we do that? I believe this is such a time where God is literally gathering the dry bones. Can you hear the rattling, all right? Can you hear that? There is an army that God is going to raise up, and there is a voice that God is trying to get out to his people. And it's a voice of hope, and it's a voice of love and compassion. But listen, it's also a voice of truth. Um, And it's the only thing that's going to save America. The election is not going to save America. We'll get to that in a little while. The Church of Jesus Christ is the hope for America. 
And I don't know about you, but I'm asking God, as we're singing the songs, first about rehearsing the goodness of the Lord this morning. Oh, it touches my heart. The kindness of God. But then on top of the kindness of God, Lord, may we not be holding you back through unbelief and pride and carnality and compromise. Can I just share with you, some of you guys are going to be confronted in this cancel culture. You're going to be confronted with whether you fold up your cards and quit or whether you actually stand up for what you believe in in the marketplace. And and some of you, it might cost you. Can I just tell you the cost is nothing compared to the reward? One last thing. I got, oh, I'm out of time. I got, I'm going to take two minutes because I'm the pastor. (laughs) I can do that. All right. One last thing. Right before the, the confrontation on Mount Carmel, do you remember what happened? Elisha goes to a widow. Remember that? And he says, hey, make me some food first and then make some food for you and your, your son. Seemed like a very selfish thing, but what he was representing was the Lord. And he said to her, if you'll do that, you'll never lack for the rest of your days. Remember what happened on Mount Carmel? What did Elijah do after the altar was made? What did he pour on it? Gasoline? Water. What was scarce? Water. He poured, he poured, people literally, their tongue sticking to the roof of their mouths. He's pouring liquid gold. Because that's what it was. It was the most precious thing. He's pouring, and then he says, do it again. And then ready for this, he said, do it again. Because listen to me, when you serve the true God, Elijah knew that rain was coming. How many of you know a, a human vessel does not contain a lot of water? A cloud, one little cloud, one meager cloud holds a lot more water than any of the biggest vessels we could ever gather. Elijah's going, pour what is precious to you on the altar. Give what is precious to you. Give what is limited right now in your hands. Give me your all. Be all in. And if you'll do that, I've got a rain cloud coming that's going to make what your sacrifices look like nothing. You know, it's not about sacrificing for Jesus. Whatever we lay down for the sake of the gospel, we get, we get an increase back. How many of you know it's just time to be all in? It's just time to have a fresh consecration to the Lord. It's a time to say, God, I don't want to play around with the world. And I just encourage you this morning. In fact, I'd like some of our leaders to come. Sometimes it's just good to agree with somebody. Just to say, Lord, you know, I need to confess this. You know, if you've got hidden stuff in your life, get it out. This is a, a no shame, no guilt, no condemnation zone. We're all sinners. We all need more of God. But don't play with your sin. Don't compromise with your sin. Don't sleep with your sin. Don't wink at your sin because it will kill you. It will kill you. Stand to your feet with me. Don't forget we got marriage class today. It's going to be powerful. Also, don't forget, please lend a hand. Let's help come together on this band of brothers. It's going to be a life-changing event. Pray with me, will you? And let's just surrender to Jesus. Lord, we give ourselves to you wholeheartedly. We give ourselves to you with everything in us, God. We ask you to just slay our self-will. Slay those idols in our lives, those weightless things that keep us from a life of genuine impact. 
Lord, as a church, I ask you for a spirit of repentance over this next month, that it would weigh heavy on us, that you would deal with us, that you would awaken the dry bones. We say prophetically, come alive in Jesus' name. I say that over the church. Awake, church. Let our hearts beat with fire and passion like we never have before. God, give us boldness in this hour. Boldness in this hour. And Lord, we ask you right now just to come. Strip us of our idols. Give us more of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, we love you guys. If you need prayer, come on down. Respond to the Holy Spirit.